Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colin Quinn. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're not so new, welcome back. This is episode 100, but we've no time for memorializing. It's 2017, and today we're talking about this week's official disclosures by the US intelligence community pointing to Russian interference in the 2016 US presidential election. I don't think that we've ever encountered a more aggressive or direct campaign to interfere in our election process than we've seen in this, in this case. That was Director of National Intelligence James Clapper testifying before the Senate Armed Services Committee. He also briefed President Obama and President-elect Trump, as well as releasing an unclassified version, the Joint Intelligence Report, that concluded with high confidence that Russia had interfered with the U.S. election in order to undermine public faith in democracy, denigrate Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton, and to help President-elect Trump's chances in the election. The question is, with all this information now out in the open, where do we go from here? To help us figure that out is Jim Lewis, who leads our cyber policy research at CSIS, and just this week released a report setting out a cybersecurity agenda for the incoming president. We first talked about what the US and its intelligence community can do in the aftermath of this apparent interference. There's two points that I hope people draw from this. The first is that we are in a conflict with Russia over the principles that will guide international society. So if you like human rights, uh, if you like democracy, uh, if you like uh, free markets, um, that's not their choice. Uh, we don't like to admit we're in a conflict because, after all, we won the Cold War. Uh, it's been a while, and the Russians are still grumpy about it. They're seeking to actively undermine Western institutions, NATO, and the principles behind the Western institutions, uh, democracy. And this sounds a little paranoid, but you can find the Russians saying it themselves, that, that we have tried to impose this alien culture on them. The alien culture, by the way, is democracy, and that the U.S. has a grand plot to destroy Russia. So um, recognize we're in a conflict. That's what I hope people got. The second thing I hope they got is that um, and this is a point that the Russians have made now for about a decade. It's not cyber war. It's information war. Focus on the information. So while we're herring around worrying about cyber Pearl Harbors, they're thinking about how do they manipulate public opinion, not so much in the U.S., although they don't mind when that happens, but particularly in Europe and in Eastern Europe, uh, this is an information war for them against the U.S. and the principles that it has defended. And does the U.S. want to get into that information war? I feel like there's the media and then there's the U.S. government, and those two are kind of usually separate. Normally in a democracy, the inclination is to try and press the reset button one more time. This will be the 1,812th time we've pressed the reset button with Russia. Who knows? Maybe it will work this time. Um, however, the normal trend is to do nothing until there's some sort of uh, uh, catastrophe. I hope that isn't the course we're on. I hope we can uh, righten the ship here and, and be a little more energetic. But the thing for us is that we like to think everybody likes us. We like to think we're out trying to do good in the world. Maybe the rest of the world doesn't always believe it, but the the Russians are um, convinced that the U.S. is out to destroy them, and that means they're going to be hostile. The question is, what do we do back? 
NATO, the U.S. have been wrestling with how do you respond to these kind of attacks for a while. Um, sometimes it's called hybrid warfare. That's not necessarily what the Russians call it. But it's a, it's a hard one to respond to. Do you suppress freedom of speech? Clearly not. Well, then you create an opportunity for RT and the Russian trolls. Uh, do you um, take action against the Russians in a military sense? People are worried that will escalate into a conflict, which we don't want. So our hands have been tied, and until we figure out a way to respond, uh, this is just going to be a growing problem. Next, by the way, uh, now that they've checked the box on the U.S., next is Germany, after that France, and then possibly the U.K. and the Netherlands. So it's a great technique. They think it's worked really well, and you'll see them now go after Angela Merkel, and Francois Fillon, if he is the indeed the candidate in France. Well, one thing that the West, these countries at least, have going for them is that they've they've seen to an extent, and this report will probably help them. They've seen to an extent what uh, Russia tries to do and what Russia attempts to do. So, with that in mind, is there a way then that they can counteract? Is there a way that they can help push back in this information this information war? One idea that would not be good is to try and do our own propaganda, and there's two reasons for that. The first is the U.S. isn't very good at propaganda, right? So it's like, well, you can do it, but it's not, you know, it's weird that the country that invented advertising is not good at propaganda, but we have a long history of really bad propaganda. Um, The second and more important reason, though, is that rather than propaganda, we should seek ways to um, cast light on Russian activities to expose the truth about what they're doing uh, here and in other places. That's where the report is useful. I don't know how anyone can watch RT anymore and not know that they're being scammed. That's an interesting point because a lot of what Russia had been using is the media. RT is one, Sputnik another, uh, and social media as well. Um, Twitter bots, Twitter trolls, fake news sites. So when you have those separate entities that aren't controlled by a government, that in in some cases are actually American companies, um, what can the U.S. do there? You know, it's an awkward question because we don't want uh, censorship and we don't want the U.S. to censor and we don't want the social media companies to be censors either. So we haven't quite worked our way through that one yet. Uh, a lot of the social media has been uh, taken advantage of not only by groups like Daesh, but by the Russians and by some others. Um, it's a hard problem. They have looked at how the West works and found ways to exploit it. And until we rethink that, um, we'll just have to grin and bear it. But the answer is not censorship. The answer is not propaganda, you know, false information on our own. Um, what the answer will look like is something we're going to have to work out by seeing what's effective. We know that some things bother the Russians in particular. It bothers them and they think it's part of this grand American plot. It bothers them when the doping habits of their athletes are uh, made public. It bothers them when the high-level corruption you see is made public. And so they tend to think that the anti-doping agency and the Panama Papers were all part of some massive U.S. plot. Guys, trust me, work for the U.S. government and you'll realize we're not that coordinated. The idea that we have a grand strategy of any kind, much less a grand strategy to overthrow Russia, for an American, you hear that and you think, what planet are you from? And the answer is you're from planet Kremlin. It's funny that one of the cliches of Washington is we need a whole of government approach. And 
Russia have achieved that. But they're spelling it H-O-L-E. So, yeah, the Russian, well, it's a smaller government. They're much more focused. Uh, they're not bound by, uh, by the rule of law. Dictatorships always have an advantage because you basically have a small group of people who make the decisions. They don't have to consult. Uh, they don't have to go to parliament. They don't have to go to their lawyers. Uh, it gives them a short-term advantage. In the long term, it hasn't worked out that way, but we're still in the short-term period. I want to move forward a little bit and talk about you've come out with a report this week, uh, which is uh, setting out a cyber agenda for President Trump. Uh, you actually set out the cyber agenda for President Obama as well eight years ago. Um, if we talk a little bit about what worked, I suppose, with uh, the Obama administration and what needs to be improved upon. We're in a very different world when it comes to cybersecurity because eight years ago, uh, this was not uh, a huge public issue. It did not make the front page of the newspapers. Now, maybe it should have, and that's one reason that a group of us decided to do a report. There were massive espionage failures uh, in 2007 and 2008. Um, we knew that U.S. Uh, infrastructure was vulnerable to attack. The level of cybercrime seemed um, too high, although it's gotten much higher since then. But this was not front page news. And some of it is the public has caught up to the importance of cybersecurity. So we're in a very different space. The other reason we're in a different space is the Obama administration, to its credit, actually did quite a bit. They have energized cyber command. They created a White House structure that in the last four years has been remarkably successful at coordinating the activities of the intelligence community, FBI and DHS. They've put in place sanctions, the NIST framework for critical infrastructure protection. They've really done a lot. So one of our first recommendations in this report is um, pick up the ball where it's been left on the field. Don't start from scratch. Have you seen any uh, examples of an appetite for this, for making cyber a priority in the new administration? Um, I think they realize that it's a, a central problem. Uh, if anything, the briefings on Russian hacking have helped focus them. So no, I think they think it's important. This is a different administration. Uh, the uh, Obama administration kind of revered Silicon Valley. They love tech executives. Uh, this is more of a Wall Street uh, administration, and so it's a different different focus. I still think it'll be a priority, but in some ways the priorities of the administration have yet to be shaken out. I mean, it's improve relations with Russia, deal with Daesh, uh, get a handle on immigration, fix trade, maybe rebuild infrastructure. Cybersecurity doesn't appear in all that, but I'm not worried that it won't eventually appear because the internet is omnipresent. Cybersecurity touches all of us. It's the problem's only going to increase. And in talking to people from the transition team, they know this and they are thinking about ways to deal with the problem. And what would you be telling the team about what not to do? Um, don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, they've inherited a pretty good structure. Uh, think carefully about the roles of government and the private sector. Don't ascribe too much to either one. I mean, there's a tendency to say, this should all be government, this should all be the private sector, that doesn't work. Um, take a look at what we need to do to tackle cybercrime. Uh, the policies we have in place may be running out of steam. 
Uh, we need to probably re-energize that, make it a cabinet-level issue. And finally, recognize that we're in a more hostile environment, that we have countries that seek to challenge the U.S., uh, seek to set the stage for how the international order would work. Cyber efforts are a big part of that, and we need to readjust our international strategy to take that into account. That was a long list. I should probably mention deterrence. I was really happy yesterday when uh, Director of National Intelligence Clapper said deterrence doesn't work in cyberspace. And that was a long road to hoe. I, CSIS put that out uh, about two and a half years ago. And at that point, it was met with um, screams of rage. How could we question uh, the orthodoxy? And the short answer is that we said it because it doesn't work. So I was really happy to see that uh, Clapper said that. What does work, we've proved through experience, there has to be consequences for malicious cyber action, but they don't have to be military consequences. It doesn't have to be a counterattack or a cyber attack. Um, things like sanctions, indictments, other measures along those lines um, seem to work better. So I hope the new administration won't try and think about how to resuscitate deterrence, that they'll focus on treasury and justice as the places that might be the most effective. Everyone who is a disinterested party is convinced that the Russian activities um, didn't change the outcome of the election, that uh, it would have been the same if the Russians had just sat on their hands. Now, one of the problems you get in intelligence activities is they are covert. You don't always see a direct link. And so it will be natural for the Russian agencies to take credit for this outcome. But I don't think that's right. The outcome would have been the same no matter what. And that's an important point. That said, for a hostile foreign power to interfere in the presidential elections of the United States is simply unacceptable. We cannot tolerate that, nor can we tolerate them interfering in the prime minister, parliamentary, presidential elections of our closest and most powerful allies. So while the effect of the Russian hacking is easy to overstate, uh, we need to make a powerful point that it's unacceptable. And the expulsion of the 35 diplomats, the closing of the two Russian ga intelligence gathering facilities, and the sanctions on Russian entities they're really good. That's a powerful step. That was the biggest expulsion since the end of the Cold War. But it's only a first step. And now we have to think, what do we do next to see if we can get them uh, back in line and tamp it back a bit? Any uh, ideas on what that second step should be? I think you have to keep the pressure up on them. I think you have to continue to say, uh, you know, this sort of behavior is unacceptable. And I think one of the um, issues that's bound to come up is it's not just uh, the U.S. intelligence community that saw the Russians interfering with uh, our elections. Um, other intelligence agencies in other countries saw it as well. So for us to remain credible, we have to recognize that. And I think the answer is to start exposing uh, the corruption, uh, the political manipulation, uh, the criminal activities that we've seen used against us. Um, put them in the sunlight and see what happens. And that was Jim Lewis wrapping up what was our 100th episode of the CSIS podcast. It's a new year, and so I want to hear from you on what we should consider for our next 100 episodes. 
Drop me a line on Twitter or by email. It's easy. It's just cquinn at csis.org. And remember, there's no story too big or too small. I look forward to hearing from you and to joining me again next week for our next episode. As always, thanks for listening.